Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Omaha, Nebraska-born, Kansas City-based jazz drummer David Hawkins. He's a relatively new addition on the KC scene, and he's been very active. Most recently, he was the featured drummer on the 2022 CD High Plains by Kansas City saxophonist Stephen Martin. He loves KC and has a great story. Enjoy. Well, hey, thanks for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So for context here, just to kind of personalize this, we met you after or during one of the breaks at the Peter Schlam gig at the Majestic, correct? Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. Okay. And then I interviewed Stephen Martin and he mentioned that you were on the album. So it's like there's all of these sightings and I just wanted to make sure that we caught up and talked about because the beauty right now is that we've been dormant for almost two years now. So it's so good to see you cats are out and doing your thing. Man, it's great to be out and doing something after two years. And, you know, the thing I think that gets me the most when I think about the timeline here, you know, all these stadiums are filled to capacity. There's, mm. you know, mainly sports stadiums. But it's like musicians couldn't go in and fill 20 or 30 people, even with masks. Right. <laughs> what, what is that? So, at any rate, man, uh, let's start at the top here and kind of, you know, we've already kind of talked about the elephant in the room, which is COVID. How did everything kind of transpire? I know you're from Omaha. So take me back to March of 2020 and kind of a little bit of a timeline about how we got to right here. Man, March of 2020. So that that's the thing, right? Like every time I think back to a memory and I'm thinking, oh, it was like last year. It's like, no, that was actually two years ago. <laughs> that's where time froze. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. March 2020, um, I was actually getting ready to move to New York shortly before the whole COVID thing kind of blew up. So that kind of put a hold on that plan. Um, and things just kind of shut down. And it's the first month or so, it was like, okay, well, you know, barring all of the, the world circumstances, once it was like, okay, we're just in the house for a minute. It's like, all right, I'm going to shed and I'm going to really get into it. And so that was a headspace that was, I think, great for a lot of musicians, especially me, to kind of really get back to whatever it was that, pulled us to what we do in the first place. Like, it was a, a recentering moment, honestly. Um, at least for me, it was a really recentering moment that I was able to just sit back and, and reflect on myself as a person, as a musician, kind of dive into some stuff. That that lasted for, <laughs> like, uh, a few months. And I think the wall that a lot of us musicians met and a lot of people in general was, A, you know, especially in jazz music, it's it's an interactive thing. You know, it's a it's a very collaborative, very interactive, very expressionistic art form. A lot of that comes from being able to share that with other people. And when that wasn't there, it got hard for a little bit after a while. Like, there's always the self-improvement. There's always the self-betterment and the being studious of the art. But in terms of the expressionistic side of it, um, there, there wasn't anything there to do that. That kind of hit a little bit hard. And... Thankfully, I was able to, you know, I, I'm involved in a lot of different things musically. I play a lot of different genres of music. I do some producing and some engineering and stuff. So I was able to get into that world a lot. Um, but that was also around the time where everything was happening um, with George Floyd and just a, a lot of the rocks, a lot of the protests were happening. And that that really um, took me into a, a different headspace where, like, just processing all of that. And so there was actually a time, maybe about two months or so, maybe I think like June, July, where I didn't, I didn't really play drums at all, to be honest. I was, it was like, 
and some people may agree with me, some people may not, but in my personal experience, it felt like there was some some more important stuff happening, uh, at least for me, to process. Not that music isn't important, because as we have all discovered through the pandemic, it is, <laughs> because it's one of the only things that has allowed for people to come together. It's allowed for healing. It's allowed for processing. But there were a couple months there where, you know, my energy and my heart were, were heavy and they were elsewhere. Um, and then I think around July is when all of that energy that I had been feeling and, and all of those those processes that I was going through with what was happening in the world at that point, about the end of July and August was when I was able to channel that back into music. Um, so, you know, got back in the shed and, and got back just, just being creative in my, my home studio space and, you know, with a couple of musicians around locally and, and doing the, the, the virtual thing, the social distance thing. And there were a few, like, that's when live streams started to pop up. Um, well, I take, I take that back. They started to pop up sooner than that. There was actually a good, probably nine months or so, probably from, um, let's see, March, April through, I want to say, like, September or October, whenever it got cold in the winter, where myself and a musician, I can't call him a local musician, he lives in, in Omaha, Andrew Bailey. Um, if you guys haven't heard of him, you should you should check him out. He's an amazing guitarist, um, toured with Corey Henry and the Funk Apostles, and, you know, a bunch of great people. So, anyways, he's back here in Omaha, so uh, myself, him, and another uh, local vocalist, Ali Peeler, we, we did these um, these porch sessions where every Saturday we would go out and just play on the porch in his neighborhood. And uh, it, it, was, it was a really cool thing because you know, people would come out, sit in lawn chairs or sit out in the street, and you know, we'd live stream it. And so every Saturday morning at 9 a.m., we, we got to go out and, you know, I just had a snare drum and, you know, had my little toys and just making sounds and Andrew was on guitar and, and singing. Allie was playing Yuke and singing. And that was a, that was a, a, a light source for me um, during that time. And a lot of people, I think, because music also became more of a, it became more of a healing tool. And though nobody was, you know, gigging or really trying to outdo this or outdo that, it, it was just, man, I got to do the little bit of this that I'm doing um, for my soul. And I think that uh, going back to when I started to be able to channel stuff back into the headspace of being a full-time musician for real, that really helped direct that for me. So we, we get all the way to about October. Now gigs are starting to happen. They're being sparse and few, few in between. Uh, but they're happening, and I'm really doing more uh, just mixing and producing the studio stuff at, at that point for, I don't know, probably the next several months uh we get to the next spring i mean we're having the thing where gigs will happen and everything will shut down and then gigs will happen and everything will shut down and then uh steven hit me up um it was probably i, I don't even remember exactly when we did the date but i, I want to say it was somewhere around early june of 2021 and it was, it was actually kind of a short notice thing he, he hit me up and was like hey uh have this recording date, you know, some things. I, I actually don't know if I was originally supposed to play it or not. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not. Gave me the call and was like, hey, can you uh, can you come down in about a week or so? We got a date. And we had talked about doing some recording before, 
uh, but it was kind of a far off in the distance thing, and, and then the opportunity presented itself, so um, made it down that next week and was able to record with, with him and, and Peter and, and Ben and, and Matt and Bobby, which was a great experience and, you know, love those guys and you know, play with with uh, most of them pretty frequently. So we did that record and then we've been doing a lot of playing and, and, and traveling a little bit since then. You know, things have kind of opened back up, so I, I feel like a <laughs> like a drummer again um, for for the most part and really getting in back into the, that headspace, so... That's that's pretty much been the the journey of the past two years in a nutshell. Talk about like your beginnings. Like, how did everything start for you in music? Kind of growing up in Omaha and some of your jazz influences, and how it kind of turned into what it is today. Um, so I started started playing drums really early. I mean, I was banging on pots and pans when I was when I was like two years old. And, Everybody was like, "You don't take those pans away." But my my great grandmother was like, "Nah, let the baby play." She, so she, she is the reason. Thank you, Gran. I continue to play the drums, but um, it it really kind of took hold in church. My my father's a pastor. You know, I just grew up in grew up in the gospel church, and so I gravitated towards the drums immediately. And that's where most of my interest and in development happened from an early age, probably till I was about in high school. Really, I actually didn't like jazz. Or about, I mean, my scope was small, and that's that's I I love Omaha, I love where I'm from, um, but that's that's the thing that a lot of places uh, around where I'm from, where I kind of suffer from, is is the perspective, and I just I didn't have the perspective to to know that jazz was anything other than the Pink Panther theme song, you know. Um, so what was eye opening for me was when I was in high school. I guess the next part of my development as a musician was um, doing drumline. And doing band and marching band, and I did um, some some drum corps, some WGI, some uh, stuff like that. And my instructor, that's here in Omaha, uh, coincidentally, I just happened to be Dana Murray, who has been my mentor for for a long time now. And he was the person that really opened my eyes. You know, helped me to harness a work ethic just for for life in general, but specifically geared towards drumline and music. And then. I started, uh, heard that he was also, you know, some good drum set player. And so I went and watched him play. And you know, he had played with, you know, went in and a bunch of people back in the day and came back here to raise his son. Uh, so I started, I started studying with him and, you know, watching him play and, and going to a lot of gigs. And that was when my eyes started getting, got opened up to the world of jazz and like, oh, this is, this is what that is. And, and then like, oh, I can do this for a living. So I was probably about, 18, 17, 18 years old, probably my senior in high school, when I started taking that pretty seriously and, and, and was under his mentorship, which exposed me to a lot. I used to, I used to set up his drums to pay for my lessons. So that was how I really got the hunger for it. And, and, and the early albums that I was really into, you know, I was into, was the first, I think the first record I ever got was Kind of Blue, Miles Davis record. Um, so those were a lot of my early influences, kind of blue, uh, blue train, Nefertiti, Art Blakey, like a, a lot of the, uh, the stuff from that era is what really was really driven home to me as I, just, I don't know why <laughs> I just gravitated towards it, probably because of the fact that it was, it was the most accessible for me and where I was at. Um, but that was, that was my path. To it. it, it was a roundabout way, but but it happened. So it came out of you know gospel, came out of church, um, into drumline, into uh, 
into jazz, if that makes any sense. It certainly does. What was the first live jazz show that you saw in person that blew you away? I went and saw Dana play with, let's see, Luke Polipnik was in town at the time, and Mitch Town at Page Center's Lounge in Omaha. It was the first time I heard live jazz ever. And it, 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 blew, it blew me away. It absolutely blew me away. When you're on stage, do you get nervous? Is it a native language? Is it something that you feel comfortable with? I mean, I know sometimes, you know, we see one thing and then perceive another. What's being on stage like for you? Honestly, I'm not on stage when I'm on stage. I guess the best way to explain it would be I'm in the space of whatever, wherever the energy that, that is being created lies in. I don't, I don't know if there's a way for me to actually vocalize that, but... I think thinking about being on stage and performing for people, that sort of takes me takes me out of that space. So um, I try as much as – and that, that's always changing, too. So if I was constantly thinking about, you know, the place where I was at or the people that I were performing for, um, you know, I would never be able to be – consistently be the kind of musician I think I'm trying to be. Um, that's not to say those things don't affect me, but they definitely do. But I, I really try and <laughs> block them out as much as possible and uh, just try and exist in, in whatever space is being created and, and uh, get used to creating that even when I'm not on stage that way uh, when I am, it's, it, it's just all about what's happening between the people that are around me and, and, and the space that we're creating together and everything else is just being invited into whatever that space is, not the other way around. So, you know, you were obviously very interwoven into the Kansas city community. So I'm curious, what brought you here? How how did your, you know, alpha of Kansas City existence begin? Well, I mean, honestly, <laughs> there's just not enough jazz in Omaha <laughs> to, to really be <laughs> as interested in jazz as I am. There just wasn't enough here. So um, I, I do have family down in Kansas City now. Uh, like, my mother lives down there now. She's from there. She moved to Omaha. Um, and, you know, I was, I've lived here for my whole life, but... Um, what really brought me down there was yeah, I would just go down there and and, and listen to to people play. I think Marcus Lewis used to come up here a lot. I, I so I went to UNO for about a year and a half, and I remember him coming up here, um, and him telling he he was from Kansas City, and every once in a while people from Kansas City would come up, and so I just got to know them when they were here, um, and would just always go out to gigs, always go out and watch. Whenever I was down there, I'd go and 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 watch gigs and, and just try and meet people, and I just just thirst for being around the music however possible, especially at a young age. I mean, I'm still young, but when I was a teenager and and a, a very new young adult, it just was the closest place to me <laughs> that I could go in and be a part of, of the music that had taken over my life, you know. With that being said, you know, you're, you're definitely, I mean, even just from what I've seen, you're so interwoven into the Kansas City jazz community now. What's the greatest thing about being a part and being actually here in that community, I think the 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 best part is kind of what you just said is, is the community aspect of it is being in a place and you know it's the same in Kansas City or Chicago or New York or, or wherever you go. But when you're around people who are about the same things that you are and who are constantly challenging you and, and helping you to grow as a person, you, you want to be around that. You want to be connected to that, and it's, it's a very supportive thing too. It doesn't feel like everybody's trying to, to, to outdo everybody. Like, we're, we're all just trying to, A, create, B, be um, the best people we can be, and, and 
share what that is with each other. That's a beautiful thing. That's that's part of the spirit, I think, of this music. So that uh especially in times like this, like like it's it's honestly it's the community, it's the kindredness of of what this whole thing is that draws me to it. And Kansas City is a great place for that and I, I believe that, you know, regardless of whatever else exists in the world, um, that is there and so that's why I love it. So what do you like the best about Kansas City? I mean, as a city, there's so much here. You know, one part of it is you being, you know, in the jazz community, but it's also living in this town. What do you like the best about Kansas City? What do I like the best about? Well, first of all, barbecue. <laughs> I can't even, can't even pretend like that doesn't cross my mind every time I go there. So I love, I love food. I love, I love Arthur Bryant, and I love Jack Stacks, and I love Gate Sauce. So there's that. But I also I like how uh I like the people. I like how inviting it is. It really does feel like it feels like a community of people and I love that the city of Kansas City cares about the city of Kansas City, if that makes sense. Not not every place is like that. Um, not every place really gathers around itself as a whole in its entirety and not just parts of it. Um, and you feel that. I feel that when I'm in Kansas City. Oh, I totally agree. Absolutely. So as a musician, what's the greatest part of this process of being a professional musician for you? What do you like the best about it? Man, I like that it, it never stops and that I never stop learning and growing and experiencing development and growth and new things. And I, I like that it, it, it never stops. There's no point where it's like, okay, this is it. There's always more to get. There's always more there. And that's that's what I love. You know, the the beauty of Kansas City is, is that we have such a history and allure. Do you ever think about that? I mean, what, how does that strike you to become part of a fabric of a town that gave the world Charlie Parker, Jay McShann, and just even Marcus Lewis and all these modern cats? Oh, man, it's huge. Like, like lineage is everything. One thing that's always stuck with me is that where things come from at their source and, and the lineage that, that this music goes through the people, all of that is that's what makes things what they are. Even if we take it outside of a musical context, if there's anything that is inspirational, anything that is great, there is a reason why, and there's a reason why for that reason, and there's a reason why for that reason, and that's what makes something strong. That's what makes it stand the test time. That's what that's what that's what's beautiful about it. So I think about that every time. I'm in Kansas City, and it's 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 an energy that that that's palpable. It's a it's a feeling that you're a part of something greater, and that you can tap into that that streamline of that, and, and to even just bask in it for a second, to just kind of kind of touch the toe of, of of where that comes from a little bit. That is something that uh that's real, that's genuine, and and that's really important. So I, I think about that constantly. And it's it's a blessing and an honor to be able to still be able to tap into that. And I, I hope that, you know, the generations that are still around now and, and my generation and the ones that come after, we can continue to, to make that happen and pass that down so, so that it doesn't just get lost somewhere because that would be a tragedy. Indeed. So let's take that envelope and push it a little further. If you could go, go back to 18 and Vine, in our heyday and see anyone live. Who are you going to go see? I mean, I guess the obvious one, everybody would say they'd go back and see Bird, which, I mean, I would love to see. That would be my top, yeah. 
Definitely. Yeah, you would have to. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a trick question, but at the same time, sometimes Basie comes up, you know, battle the yeah. bands. I mean, there, there was so much going on at the time. Um, right. You know, the one thing before we depart planet COVID, you know, during time of this time of COVID and self-reflection and all of this, we all, we all had to really kind of think about our lives. What mm-hmm. did you learn about yourself that maybe you didn't realize before that is going to make you stronger now as you get out and gig more and get on albums like Stephen Martin's and really get more interwoven into the fabric of the Kansas City jazz community? Man, I learned a ton of stuff about myself. I guess if I had to make a list, I might as well make a book. But I guess to, <laughs> to, to synopsize it, uh, one thing that has really stuck with me um, that, that came to light through COVID um, is, you know, relationships and how important or not important they can be. And I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. From the elders that you've been around or esteemed cats that have had more experience than you, what have you learned from them on the band and gigging with them that you in turn try to either grow from or teach younger musicians you get around? Uh, listening. Always be a listener, like just the biggest ears ever. And that's, that goes from musically, that goes from taking cues from people around people around you, always being a listener, uh, being malleable, and being the, the, the worst musician in the room at all times as much as possible. Yeah, I dig it, man. So very simply put, why do you love jazz? Because it's real. I love it because it's real. Everything that um, it, it's easy to tell when it's not. <laughs> it you can't you can't BS it. It's the one thing that that truth is is under. It, it's it's macroscopic. Like there's no way around it. It's honest, and when it's not, you can tell. Beautiful. So everyone has a perception or an idea of you, your family, your friends, your fans. But you live your life. You perceive yourself. Who do you think you are? You know, that's a that's a question that that changes a lot. And not that I don't know who I am at my 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 soul, my core, but it changes in the in the respect that life is always changing. So I'm trying to figure out the better question that I'm asking myself is who am I within what is? So that's a question that I don't really have an answer to <laughs> yet. Yeah, but I I'm dig it. Trying to figure it out. Everything changes, man. And just like you said, you know, you could have filled an entire lifetime in the two years that we've lived. I mean, we've all we've all aged like presidents. <laughs> hey, man, it's been wonderful to talk to you. It's been great to see you out on the scene. I'm sure I'll see you some more. So, you know, welcome to Kansas City. Just keep on putting that music out there, as I know you will. Thank you so much. Thanks again for having me on, Joe. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Omaha, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to David for his time, music, and energy. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.